Welcome to Missionary Mindset. This is the podcast where we do a deep dive on all things missions in East Asia. This week, we're speaking with Scott Connell. Scott is the National Director of Taiwan for YWAM. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. We're so glad to have you. Would you mind introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got into ministry? Uh, so yeah, my name is Scott Connell. Um, I have been here in Taiwan for about 19 years now, worked with Youth with a Mission, um, have been full-time with YWAM for the last 25 years, actually. So, um, and I, um, yeah, I got into, I, I was, you know, probably like many people kind of accidentally got into ministry. Um, I, uh, so my senior year in high school, I, I grew up, I was raised in the church, um, but had a very nominal relationship with the Lord up until I was my senior year of high school. And then really just, I was dating a girl and she, this one day actually took me to her, her parents took me to like a church service and a guy that had been like an ex-con was sharing at this thing and he was sharing his testimony. And I just remember hearing as he was sharing, I just recognized that there was something different um, in what this guy was sharing. And yeah, I, kind of began, that was sort of the beginning for me in my senior year of just recognizing okay, that, well, God is, he's real. I mean, of course, you, you think you would know that as you're raised in the church, but I mean, there was just that sort of experiential, like, no, he really is real. And so we decided to do like a little summer missions thing before I went to university. So I graduated, was going to be going off to university. Um, and this girl and I decided we were going to do a, a summer of missions uh, together. I, again, I only knew YOM. That was really the only miss, missions organization I knew. And so, again, try to, long story short, basically about a week before this thing started, she bailed. She didn't go. And I ended up going by myself by totally by the grace of God. Because, <laughs> again, my all my friends were going to be going on a road trip partying up through the northwest of the United States. And I I didn't go. And I just, I have no idea why other than it was God's grace. And so it was that summer that I did this four week uh, summer outreach with YWAM and it was in Utah. It was a missions to Mormons, kind of like an evangelism thing. Um, Again, the only reason I went was because it was somewhat close to California. It was one of the cheapest ones I could find. I mean, I I just, I knew nothing back then, you know, so still don't know a whole lot. But um, so I ended up doing this four week missions summer. I was 17 years old. And it was during that summer that God just completely turned my life upside down. I mean, just the reality of God hit. And I, I knew not that I necessarily had a call to missions at that point. But I knew that from that point forward, no matter what I was going to do, it had to involve God's purposes. I mean, I just he was he was God and I was his. And, and so whatever I was going to do from that point on, it, it had to involve what he wanted. And so, again, not that I was, you know, from that point, I'm going to be a missionary, but I just I knew that I wanted to follow and love and serve God. And so during that summer, uh, I called uh, my, my folks and told them, I said, hey, I don't want to go to university. I want to I want to take a, a training school with YWAM. They were initially not very stoked on that. Um, I was valedictorian in my high school class. And so, I mean, I was, you know, I was, uh, there was expectations, you know, what I was going to be doing in university and the Lord, you know, worked in their hearts. And so I ended up doing some training with YWAM actually for two years before then I actually went back to university and I got a degree in English lit, but 
it was during those first, those couple of years that again, I just, that's when really the burden for missions began to grow. And, and really, I guess to, you know, to, if I had to boil it down to one thing, how did I get in ministry? I would say it was Romans 10, 14 and 15, as I was just in the scriptures, you know, just the, the pure logic, I guess, of Paul, if I can say it that way, I'm, I'm more of a thinker, not so much of a feeler, but just that idea of, you know, how are they going to believe in people? How are they going to call someone they've never heard of? How can they hear about someone that, you know, unless someone preaches that kind of idea? I just, I just knew that um, as I began to get exposed to the, statistic, the statistics, you know, of the numbers of people that had never even heard the gospel, in my heart, there was really, I never had this sort of mystic calling, you know, I didn't, I never had this kind of went forward at a church service, you know, never cried when I thought I did. it was just basically this sense of, okay, I'm willing, you know, and, and so it was like, Lord, I'm willing. And I just began to kind of, what I've always described as sort of adopt a posture of, of leaning out and just saying, okay, Lord, I'm a, there's so many that haven't heard you. I, I've grown up in a country where a lot of people have. And so I'm just going to lean out. If you push me back in, that's great. But if not, then I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to lean out into the nations. Um, and so, again, that's, I don't know if that's, if that's clear or not, but I mean, that basically was just how I, I kind of, I mean, there's lots of other things along the way, but that was just sort of the, I would say how I got into ministry was just this conviction of two things. One, that God was real and two, that people needed to hear about him. And, and knowing that there's lots of people out there that didn't had that had no opportunity. I just thought, okay, well, how can I be part of that? So that's, that's basically how you got it. So that brings me to a good question, just my, my intelligence or lack thereof. What is kind of YWAM? I looked up a little bit, but I also tried not to look up too much. So I'd, I'd right. let you kind of explain what YWAM is. Right, right. Yeah. So YWAM is a international movement. We try and not, it, it's a very much a grassroots movement. It's not, we try and sort of, I mean, have become more and more intentional of trying to not be sort of structured as an organization. So there's not really a a hierarchy. There's not really a central headquarters. There's not really anything like that. Um, we are a movement that is based around a core set of shared values. We have, we have, I mean, we have 18 of them, which is probably more than any, you know, any group should really have, but we have, we have these 18, what we call our, you know, our core values. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we, we call ourselves a movement. Sometimes we, you know, depending on where we are, we'll call them ourselves a tribe. I mean, the idea that, because YWAM is, I think we have people in 180 plus countries or something like that. I mean, it really is literally all over the world and it throws its umbrella over a lot of things. I mean, the main three, I guess the, the three sort of major things that we do are evangelism, discipleship, and mercy ministries. Those are kind of like, let's say the three big umbrellas that sort of a lot of things get thrown under, but you know, it's, it's, we're parachurch. We, um, we have, you know, branches of YWAM. There's certain, you know, groups within YWAM that are very focused on church planting. But then we have other ones that are very focused on mercy ministry. We have a ship's, you know, ministry that go, goes and, and does medical missions. We have, you know, I mean, again, here just on the island, you're going to be talking to, you know, Chris and Elle. I mean, these guys have a heart for surfers. And so they're really doing evangelism and discipleship to the surf community. And then we have people on the island here that are that are focused on, you know, trying to reach the, the working class. And so they're doing church planting. And then we run training schools. And I mean, there are just, there's so many different things that, that YWAM does. You can do a lot of different things and be called a YWAMer. But really the, the, the sort of the, the what, what holds us together is this kind of, these group, this, this central sort of these core values that really are just based on 
trying to hear the Lord, what, you know, hear the word of the Lord, what's he asking us to do, and then just be faithful to that, not give up. I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, we, one of our sort of slogans is we, you know, we listen, we obey, and we don't give up. That's kind of the sort of major kind of slogan in YWAM is, you know, we just try and listen to the Lord, obey what he's telling us to do, and just not give up. So, so yeah, so Kyle, I mean, it, yeah, it, there's, there's, you, you talk to probably a hundred different wiremen, you're going to hear a hundred different things on sort of what wire yeah. does, but that, that's, you know, how I would summarize it. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. Cause I, I knew you guys were kind of involved in a lot of things, but I wasn't sure kind of what the main focuses were. So the three, the main three that you mentioned uh, make yeah. more sense, at least to me. Anyone that, Anyone that comes on staff, so we have this school called the Discipleship Training School, and it is a five to six month school, depending on how long your outreach is, but it's three months of, of lecture phase followed by two to three months of outreach. And anyone that's on staff has, that's the door into YWAM. So anyone who is a actual staff person with YWAM has done a, what we call a DTS. And so they're running in, I don't know how many countries all over the world and how many different languages, but, but everyone, if you talk to anyone who says, yeah, I'm a YWAMer, um, you know, I'm, I'm with on staff with YWAM, we've all done our D. And so normally the, our kind of question is, you know, if you, you meet someone, it's like, oh, where'd you do your DTS? Like, that's kind of like your sort of intro question to someone in YWAM, you know, because that we've all done that somewhere, you know? So like I did mine in Chico, California, did my outreach in Mexico. And, you know, I mean, so I, my wife did hers in Hawaii, did her outreach in Costa Rica. So, you know, I mean, everyone's got their DTS story. That's awesome. What's been the most challenging part of your ministry? I'm sure there's a lot of, could be a lot of answers. Um, you could share one or a few or. I <laughs> uh, mean, here in Taiwan, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, either here in Taiwan or just um, as you, because I know you said you've kind of been in ministry for about 25 years. Right. So what's been something that stands out to you that was kind of a challenge? I know recently, obviously, it's been COVID for kind of everyone. <laughs> right. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, other than my sin nature, um, you know, other than my sinful <laughs> fallen self, that's, that's been the biggest challenge. Uh, but second to that, I guess, would probably be for, you know, the last 19 years. So we, you know, we were six years, or at least I was six years uh, on, in the States in different locations in the last 19 years have been here in Taiwan. And I, I would, I mean, easily say that the biggest challenge here has been just the, you know, language cross-cultural yeah, barrier. I don't really like the word barrier, but, you know, just that, that yeah. the challenge of being a cross-cultural missionary. One of the guys that I, he was with China Inland Mission, you know, OMF, and he was reaching a, um, he reached a group, group of people in mainland China called the, you know, the Lizu. And he, and he one of his biographies, he talks about how language is this mountain that you think that once you've kind of scaled the mountain, you know, you've gotten to the top, but all you realize once you get to the top of that mountain is that you see there's this whole range of mountains behind it. And that's what he calls, you know, cultural fluency and, you know, being able to sort of yeah. understand the culture. I think I'm still, 19 years in trying to just, you know, understand what it means to think other than myself to, you know, to, to be able to see the world through a lens. That's not just my, you know, Western grew up in the States kind of lens, you know, language was certainly a golly. I mean, talk about the most humbling roller coaster of emotions that I've ever been on uh, language study you know, to literally be able to go one moment from, wow, they understand me. This is the greatest thing ever to, you know, I can't order a pizza, you know, like just, <laughs> and, and just feel like a, a complete idiot, you know, like I, I mean, the emotional highs and lows of language 
coupled with then the, okay, now, even if I, I understand the words coming out of your mouth, but we're still saying two different things. That has really probably been, I would say the greatest challenge for me. Yeah. I feel like that challenge probably resonates with a lot of people, especially a lot of people that I've, I've interviewed so far just on the Island that the language fluency is difficult, but the, the cultural fluency is way yeah. more difficult and takes, yeah. takes so long. Yeah. Well, you know, and let me, Kyle, let me add one more that I actually, and I, I don't know if I would say it's the grit, but I, I wonder how much this plays in to it. And, and I, and I really see this as a challenge to missionaries today. You know I mean? And I, I've shared this before with people, but you know, when I, when I think about the, cha- and I read the biographies of the missionaries from a hundred years ago, or, you know, 150 years ago, I mean, these guys, you know, getting on a boat, saying goodbye to their families, never seeing them again, losing, you know, more children than they were able to see grow up into adulthood, sickness, you know, multiple spouses dying on the mission. I mean, I, you know, you, you, the challenges that they had were just, you know, incredible. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think, though, is such a challenge, and, I, and I, I'm speaking from myself personally, you know, for myself personally now, but I've just seen it in so many people that I've worked with here, too, is the, and, I, and this is, you know, it, it's going to sound like you're just kind of dumping on social media, but I, I believe that probably one of the biggest challenges that we're facing right now as missionaries is the, is the ability to really, um, to, you know, to, to be able to sort of become uh, incarnational. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when, when the missionaries back in the day got on the boat and went to that new place, they, they had to become emotionally connected to the people they were ministering to. They had, I mean, that was all they had, right? I mean, it was that, that yeah. group. Whereas, man, I can, you know, if I leave the States, if I'm a new missionary, I leave the States to get on the airplane. The last thing I'm going to do before I get on the airplane is I'm going to send a text message to my family and I'm going to say, hey, you know, I'm going to whatever. And the first thing I'm going to do when I get off the plane just in that new location is I've just landed. I'm going to, I'm going to get them on FaceTime. I'm going to talk to them. And the next day I'm going to see them on FaceTime. And then, you know, if I'm not careful through my Instagram or my Facebook, I, my heart, I think one of the biggest challenges is, and just the news that I read, I mean, you know, how much news am I reading that pertains to Taiwan? How much, you know, for myself as an American, how much news am I reading that pertains to the United States and what's going on in the States? I mean, to be totally honest, this is embarrassing to admit this. I know much more about the political situation in America than I do about the political situation in Taiwan. I'm much more aware of some cultural things going on there than I am here. And, and, I, and, I, and I, that makes me realize that the, the blessing of media and the blessing of you know, some of the things that we have on the flip side, I think I really do believe that I'm finding fewer and few missionaries that are able to just really jump in with both feet, be in that culture, be just completely all in. I, I think that that is one of the greater challenges that we're facing as well. And, and so I say that because I think it goes right along with the language cultural fluency thing. We're kind of mm-hmm. shooting ourselves in the foot when, when we're, you know, when it's like, yeah, I'm going to do my two hours of language study, but then the rest of my time, I'm going to be reading English news. I'm going to be looking at English Facebook posts and English Instagram and this and that. I'm not, I'm never going to get to a place of cultural fluency if i'm not just with the people almost like you have one foot in one foot out like you're totally between two cultures at that point i definitely feel pretty similar when you say that i know more about the politics of home you know in america 
that I do of the politics here, especially because a lot of missionaries here, I think it's, it's a good policy and bad policy. I think there's definitely two sides to, to speaking politics with someone in, in the sure. culture that you're in, um, because sure. people can have such strong opinions. <laughs> right, right. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of missionaries shy away from sh- like sharing about politics or sharing about cultural things that, that could open up more doors to closer friendships, closer relationships, and then sharing about yeah. the closest relationship that we can have. Well, and I mean, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, the people that we are called to reach, I mean, I, I want to know what is it, what's on their heart? What are the things yeah. that they're thinking about? What are the things that are close to them? And and when I spend the majority of my time, or if I, I should say, I mean, yeah. hopefully I don't, but I mean, if I do, <laughs> if I spend the majority of my time, I, I just, you know, obviously homesickness was something that missionaries 150 years ago dealt with as well. But the reality was, is when they got in that boat, they had, it was, it, it's like, well, you just need to, the healing starts now. And, it, and, you know, it's like, when you get on that boat, it's like the pain is there, but the healing starts at that point. I just have seen so many people that I think I don't think they ever let that homesickness, missing home, that that wound never fully heals or it's never allowed to kind of be dealt with because they just kind of keep, you know, we just sort of keep at it, you know, what no one was going. On. And again, I'm grateful that I am, you know, get to know what's happening with my, I'm grateful that I get to know, you know, instantly if my parents are sick. I'm grateful that I get that, you know, I can be praying for things like that. I'm grateful for that. I'm not like the missionaries that used to, you know, four months later, they get a letter saying, hey, you know, your, your, your parents died. You know what I mean? We're, yeah. we're not in that place. But again, the flip side of that is that, man, my heart. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I could revise my answer. If I, you know, going back to what's the biggest challenge, I, I definitely think that along with the cultural fluency and language thing, as much of a challenge is keeping my heart where I'm called. Um, that, that I think is a huge one. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. What's been kind of the most, on the flip side, what's been kind of the most re- rewarding part of your ministry? Biggest highlight or one of the greatest things in ministry for me is just the people I get to work. I think, you know, when, when Anna and I first moved here, I remember the first time we went back, we'd been here for about a year and a half. And, you know, people were asking us what we missed, you know, from, you know, you know from the States and, you know, and, and, and or, you know, and we're asking us about Taiwan. And, and I remember, thinking the only thing, you know, at that point, I wasn't in love with the food of Taiwan. I am now, but I mean, at that point, I wasn't in love with the food, you know, but I remember just thinking the one thing I missed was the people, you know, I just, the people I was getting to work with, the, the, the friends that I was making in Taiwan. I I think the, 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 the greatest thing for me has been just to see God's work in Taiwanese, you know, just to see what he's doing in the hearts of the Taiwanese, to see people that had absolutely zero background with Jesus coming to know Jesus and now getting to work alongside of them and, and just striving together for, you know, for the gospel with, with people from another country and just seeing how the Lord does it, man. It's just, I, so anyway, all that to say is the people just get that some of the people I've been able to work with. I just, I have such respect for them and yeah, just to be able to be able to serve Jesus just to see yeah him in another culture through another people group, <laughs> you yeah, can delete I, that one out that was probably all over the map but anyway, no, you can edit that one I, later i so. definitely i definitely agree with that i feel like a lot of times especially when missionaries talk to each other a lot of times they talk about how 
God's blessing them or how their family's doing back in the States. And I feel like a lot of times kind of gets lost by the wayside, the people that they're working with here, you know, where yeah. they're actually at. So I yeah. definitely agree with that. So privileged. I mean, I just, I have such respect for, I, you know, we talk about counting the costs and, you know, and so many times people, you know, they talk about, you know, us as missionaries, oh, you guys have left your home and you've done this, this and that. And, but I, man, the people that I've worked with here, some of the, you know, the girls that I've worked with, uh, you know, the women that I've gotten to work with that, you know, when they became Christians knew there was a pretty good chance they were never going to find a husband, you know, because there's just not very many Christian guys here. Um, yeah. And, and yet have just been faithful to the call of God in their lives. And the, you know, several of the guys that I knew that were the oldest, you know, oldest men in their family, the sons in their families, and, and just the, you know, the, the expectations that were on them. But the fact that they just said, but I've got to serve Jesus. And I mean, and, the, and you know, and all the stuff that they've gone through, I just, I have such respect for my Taiwanese brothers and sisters. Um, I've learned so much from them. Yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of friends like that, too, that whenever people back in the States are like, oh, it must be so hard, like living in Taiwan and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's really not that <laughs> hard. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> we were filling out paperwork for something. And one of the questions was like, do you feel like you've given up anything? It's like, not really. Not, I mean, we've given up like, you know, in-person relationships with family back home and stuff like that. But, right. you know, kind of like you're talking about with social media and things like that. Now, I mean, we talk to my family and my wife's family and they get to see their grandchild, even though it's on a screen, you know, very regularly. And so I just, I don't know. I feel like people here half the time give up more than, so, at least than I have and oh, I'm man. like yeah, at least they get to see their family but their family sometimes shuns them or no yeah. really, really reacts harshly towards our friends becoming Christians and things like that yeah and I feel yeah. like their their cost is much greater than than mine that's yeah that's right and now a word from our sponsor Taiwan Missionary Fellowship is a movement of missionaries working together to reach Taiwan for the gospel through a network of mission organizations, church leaders, national gatherings, training events, and resources. For more information, go to tmf.org.tw. What are some of the ways that you've seen ministry change since you've been on the island? I know you've been here a little while, you know, longer than I have at least, but which isn't that long. But <laughs> yeah, what are some ways that ministry has changed for you? Yeah, man, that's a good question. I, I, um, I think for us uh, in YWAM, um, you know, there has been a, well, so when we, when we, where we were when we, in Taipei, so we were in, in Danshui up in the, you know, northern part of uh, Taipei, right? it's the last part of the, on the MRT line there. So the we were, that's weekend. where we were. Yeah. Okay. So that's where <laughs> we were for the first, first 17 years that we lived here. And, you know, when we, when we began there, you know, we ran a coffee bar ministry. Well, I mean, it's still going. We've had a coffee bar ministry there where we taught English and things like that. I, I feel like in some ways the challenges have grown a little bit in that we don't have the corner on the market anymore. There's not sort of that. It used to be quite unique. You know, when we did the coffee bar ministry, we were kind of the only gig in town. You know, as far as if you wanted to practice English, we were the only way that was going to happen was at the coffee bar. And so, you know, we had, we had people coming through all the time. Whereas now, you know, there's with the internet, there's so many opportunities for people to do that other ways. Um, I, I think we've had to just try and get a bit more creative as far as just meeting people. 
you know, with for us doing discipleship training schools and doing different things, so many, you know, churches have, you know, are offering programs that they maybe weren't offering 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Now there's, there's just a, you know, a, a plethora of, of, of training programs and, and different things you can do out there, uh, which is great, which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a great thing, but I think for us, what we've had to do is we've just had to kind of ask ourselves more specifically. So what is it that we can offer? What is it that, that what's our contribution here? It, you know, I think we used to be able to be a little bit, maybe not as, not as narrowly focused. I, I think we kind of just, just a bit broader. Well, okay, we're just going to, you know, we're going to reach people. Whereas now I think it's like, well, a lot of the churches are doing as good or a better job reaching people than we are. And so it's like, so what is it specifically that God's called us as, you know, our community? So, you know, YWAM is, is very much an international community. We've got people from many different nations, you know, that are all kind of piled in together in our different locations. And so I think we just have to be kind of more specific with, okay, Lord, what is it that, that you know, you're asking us? I'd say the other big one, I mean, so, so one, you know, what are, one is, is, you know, I think we have to be a bit more creative how things have changed. The other is, and I don't know that this has changed, but, it, you know, they're really, yeah, I just, they're, they're that sense still of kind of like, yeah, I, I know about that, you know, kind of just, ha- I, maybe this hasn't changed, I guess, but I mean, in, in some ways, just the idea that it's like, there, there's nothing really that unique. Um, and so, you know, just having to kind of just sort of, think through okay lord so what are the things that how can we how can we reach people there's 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 so many options for people out there now yeah whereas there weren't before and so i think you just have to kind of i think we have to just be asking ourselves bits more specifically so what is it that god's called us to do what is it that we can offer because there's 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 such a smorgasbord out there for people now whereas there wasn't maybe 20 years ago so if anything i think we just have to kind of sharpen our game a little bit on on what's our niche you know what what specifically are we trying to what's the itch that we're trying to scratch here i guess you know a little bit yeah i i definitely agree with that i think especially i mean i'm in taipei especially in taipei speaking english is no longer unique right (laughs) it's not a draw just to talk in english whereas some of the smaller cities in the rural areas might be a draw but you know at least in the larger cities it's not unique for someone to speak English. It's not unique to see a foreigner. And so missionaries can't just lean back and be like, oh, they'll just, they'll come up to me because I'm a foreigner. It's like, that's, exactly. that's not true anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally. I mean, when we first moved here, I remember, you know, when we were in Danza, you know, back, back when we, we came, I, it was, it was easy to go uh, several days sometimes without seeing another foreigner. Whereas now, if every time I'm in Danso, I mean, I, 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 I'm going to at least see a couple other forms. It's just, it's just much, yeah, it's just different. It's just yeah. a lot different. I know when we were talking beforehand, you said your, your new role within YWAM was as national director chair. So kind of what was the focus of your ministry? And is that going to change as you take on, I guess, more responsibility, obviously? And, and kind of how will that look afterwards? I know yeah. your day-to-day life will obviously change. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So so when we came here, um, so YWAM has been on the island for, I think this is our, I think we're in year 38 now. Mm-hmm. So 37, 38, something like that. I, we, YWAM came here in 1983, right? So am I doing the math right? Yeah, something like that. So, so right now uh, we have about eight or nine locations on the island, right? So 
all over, all the way down in Taidong, Kaohsiung, all the way up here to Taipei. We've actually got uh, a group that just, a couple of families that just moved to Jinmen, you know, off the island oh, wow. and are kind of starting a new ministry there. And so I, when we, when we came here, like I said, we were in Danzui for the first 17 years, started by doing language, just did language for a year and a half and kind of went hard after that. And then for the next six or seven years, I just primarily was involved in running training schools. So I had this, this discipleship training school I mentioned earlier, I, I staffed or ran about five of those. We have a Bible school, a nine-month Bible school that we do, where we just do an inductive Bible study. And I uh, led about four of those. those. It's like a year-long kind of thing. I led about oh, wow. four of those. Did church planning for a couple of years um, in Danzui. And, and then in 2012, I, um, I stepped into the leadership of our ministry in, in Danzue. So at that point, we had about 100 staff or so uh, on, on, in Danzue. And so I was the, the ministry director there and then did that for about seven, seven years or so and then turned it over to someone else. And then my wife and I moved uh, to, to Linko, where we are now, and then we're kind of helping kind of get another sort of another team pioneered here. And so I'm going to be kind of working with that. But then also we're stepping now into this, this national director role. And so as far as what things are going to change, what, how it's going to look differently, I mean, it, really now it's just that I, I, I'm kind of just kind of in, responsible for oversight of the whole nation, you know, so yeah. kind of just looking out for all of our teams. My heart really, I mean, Anna and I, my wife, you know, both of us, are really our heart is to is to kind of sort of get together and just to sort of, you know, ask the Lord together, okay, what is the vision the Lord has for us is why I'm here in Taiwan? How are we to serve what God is doing? You know, that it's kingdom with a capital K, right? It's not, it's not about the kingdom of YWAM. It's, it's the cap, it's the kingdom with capital K. And so just sort of asking, okay, so what is our contribution? How do we partner with what God is doing in the kingdom here in Taiwan? Getting that vision for us as a nation while, all the same, like I said, Wyoming is, is pretty much grassroots. And so, I mean, just really, you know, also wanting to just then kind of be able to sort of, you know, give any pastoral care that we can, or just how do we serve these, these different locations on island? You know, I mean, I, I think Ann and I are excited about being able just to travel around some and visit our different locations and how do we support, how do we pray for them? How do we encourage them? You know, so, so really it, it's going to be an oversight. That's really kind of more what this new role is. Um, it's not going to be as focused in one particular location. It's going to be more just kind of like, okay, so how are we doing as a nation? You know? So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's many of the same things I was doing, let's say when I was in Danso, but now it's just on a national scale. <laughs> on a larger scale. Yeah. Yeah. So because everything with YWAM is broken up kind of under the three umbrellas that, that you mentioned earlier, kind of how, how it look kind of balancing all of those. Cause they're three probably very different ministry right. looks to right. them. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, you know, Kyle, again, the way YWAM works is that we, we have this core set of values, right. And, you know, certain practices that we, you know, believe in, I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> they're nothing unique to us, worship, <laughs> prayer, evangelism, you know, uh, disciple, those kind of things, but really each location, you know, each, each ministry location, these different places that we are, let's say on the Island right now, really all started from different kind of burdens. If I can say it that way, you know, mm -hmm. um, you had people that were YWAMers, 
that God just kind of started to capture their heart. Some of them came, you know, with no intention of staying long term. I mean, you know, we had people that came here just with the idea that, okay, I'm going to do a, you know, a training school there in Taiwan. That'll be, that'll be interesting. And then while they were here, God just really gave them a, a burden and a heart for this place. You know, Chris and Elle are example of that you'll be talking to them, you know, later at some point. But, you know, they, they came here to do a training school and then God just burdened their heart for Taiwan. And, and so then, you know, for them, then it was, you know, I'm just using it as an example. It was kind of like, okay, hey, we, we've got a heart for, you know, they love to surf and, and they just recognize that there is an unreached community. There was really a, a group of people on the island that no one's reaching out to. So let's try and reach those people, you know? And so that's how Wyoming Elon kind of got birth, you know? And then uh, the guys down in, in, in we've got a, a team that's down in Zhonghua. And I mean, these guys, it was like, man, we, we have a heart for church planting. We've got a heart for seeing, you know, these the unreached reach. You know, there's less than a 1% Christian in the place that they've moved to. And so they've gone down to just focus on church planting. Um, we've got, uh, you know, a team that's in uh, Taidong that's kind of more like, hey, they, they've opened a coffee bar similar to the one that we had up in Taipei. And they're just kind of more of an, in an outreach. How do we do discipleship down here? And uh, so, I mean, each location kind of has its own thing. So, as far as balancing, we don't, I wouldn't say that we're necessarily balancing the evangelism, discipleship, mercy ministry. There are certain locations in YWAM that, that obviously um, give itself much more to one of those than the other. You know, um, you got some places that are very remote um, that, that really are good to, you know, for training, you know, you get people out of their normal circumstance, their environment. Here's a place that, you know, it's got the mountains. It's beautiful. I was in in a, in a place in Montana for, you know, several years. And it's this beautiful location in the, in the Northwestern part of Montana. I mean, their training is just amazing. It's, you know, it's set apart. It's all that kind of stuff. Then you've got ministries where it's like, you know, a YWAM base that's in the red light district of Amsterdam. It's like, well, they're going to probably be really focused on evangelism and reaching out there. And then, yeah. you know, you've got guys that are, on, you know, on, in the garbage dump in Manila. I mean, it's like, okay, that's going to just naturally give itself more to mercy ministry. So, it, it kind of just depends on, on the people and, and sort of the particular calling that they feel like they have. I would say for us here, because we're a first world developed nation, you know, mercy ministry, we, we do some of that, um, but it, not, not a whole lot simply because it's, you know, the, it's just such a, such a prosperous nation in so many ways, you know, it's the, the needs aren't in your face like they would be in some other places. Um, when I was in, California, I worked with, you know, YWAM San Francisco for a while. And, you know, we were feeding the homeless and doing stuff like that because there's a lot of, them there, you know, yeah. whereas you don't maybe run into that as much here. So, so I think as far as, yeah, just here, we probably are much more on the evangelism and discipleship side, just because those seem to be a bit more of the needs that we face in Taiwan. You're director over the entire nation. Is it difficult kind of managing a team that size? I know it comes with some inherent difficulties just because there's so many people personalities, things like that. I know we have friends who are, who are in the leadership side of IMB and, and OMF and things like that. And I think personalities are always difficult to manage for anything. Sure. So I, I know there's always an inherent difficulty, but I feel like for me, who's never been a manager other than a restaurant manager, <laughs> suddenly being thrust into a position like that, um, obviously you have some background in that. So what are some maybe difficulties that that you wouldn't have predicted when you were younger that would come from that, I guess? Well, you know, and I'm sure you've, I don't know, maybe you've heard this from 
you know, other, other organizations, we all, you know, when, when you're working with volunteers, we all kind of face <laughs> the same challenge. You know, it's like, you, you, yeah. uh, you know, how do you lead people that aren't getting paid, you know, in a, to a certain extent, you know, it's like, yeah. you can't threaten you with salary and you can't, you know, there's no incentive for raise, you know I mean? It's like, you know, how do you, it, it, so it, what it comes down to is really uh, it's relationship. And I mean, and if I were to, you know, say, okay, what, what would I tell the, you know, myself 20 years ago, it, it and, and this is particularly challenging for me because I, I'm much more of a task-oriented person. And I would say a lot of the mistakes that I've made in leadership have been because I've prioritized the task over the person. And, and so I think I'm slowly learning. Thankfully, I'm married you know, to a wife that is a people person and is much more people-oriented than I am. And so when I, when I am able to listen, you know, when God gives me the grace to be able to listen and, and actually hear what she's saying, you know, she's really helped me dodge a lot of bullets, probably just because of, of times where she's she's recognized the people side and particularly coming from a culture, you know, where a lot because we're an international organization dealing with people from, you know, whether you want to call us more of a cold climate and there's warm climates and all that kind of stuff. I mean, but dealing with other people that come from much more relational cultures and Taiwan being a relational culture, you know, that that has been probably the biggest thing is just is just really trying to have that balance between, okay, we've got something to accomplish. We have tasks that we need to get done. And yet, how do I convey value? And how do I make sure that people feel that they're valued and that they're not just a cog in the wheel? And so I, that would be, you know, if I could go back and talk to myself 20 years, it'd be, it'd be, you know, Scott, you just need to really make sure that you're valuing people, putting priority on that. And, and a lot of times for someone like me, to the point where you're going to feel like this is a waste of your time, but it's not, <laughs> you know, just to recognize that it's not spending time with people and it, it's not. And, and again, for me and YWAM, you know, because we're such a, I don't, you know, I will have oversight, but it's, it's not a director. I mean, to even call the national director role probably is not the best wording because I, I, I have that title, but it's not like I'm going to be going to the guys in the other locations and saying, hey, you need to start doing this. I really, YWAM is based off of, we, we trust that these different locations can hear from the Lord themselves on what he's asking them to do. And then we come alongside and say, okay, how can we support you? What is, you know, is there anything we can be doing to help each other? How do we kind of collaborate together? Sure, there are those moments where, you know, there has to be discipline i mean that that you know we're, we're all imperfect people but but yeah. those are for for sure the exception rather than the rule and so yeah i mean so again to call myself the the, the director that's my title but it, <laughs> it, it it doesn't operate like it does in a lot of organizations yeah kind of going back to what you said like talking to yourself 20 years ago what advice would you kind of have for a person who feels like they're being called to be a missionary or feels like they're kind of like you talked about earlier, kind of leaning into the missionary role. Yeah. What's some yeah. advice that you'd give that person? Well, I mean, the first thing I would, I would tell them is I don't think I, unless you're pulling a Jonah, I just, I don't think you'll ever regret trying. I mean, if someone is kind of sitting there kind of going, oh, I'm not sure. Am I called? Am I not? I, you know, again, for me, I never had this, you know, this, this particular verse in the sky, didn't have a dream wasn't like I, you know, flipped open my Bible and pointed to something and it said, go to the nations or, you know, I, I never had anything like that. But there was just this, this conviction that we've been given a commission. So I, the first thing I would just say is just try, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're sitting there kind of 
hesitating. I'm not sure, should, you know, should I or shouldn't I? I would say go for it. You're never going to, we're not going to get to heaven and regret that we tried to reach the nations. That's just never going to happen. And then the second thing I, I think I would just kind of going back to what I said earlier is that you just need to understand that there is, there needs to be, for you to be a successful missionary, there's going to have to be a dying to your home culture, your home. There's going to have to be a leaving and following. You know, you think about Mark 1, where, you know, you got Jesus calling his disciples and it says they left and they followed, you know, and it's just repeated this leaving and following. And I, I feel like, for a lot of missionaries today, we're, we're you know, we, we can do okay with the following, but the leaving part, I think, is really the challenge. And I, I would just, I, I would definitely say to someone, you know, if I could, you know, 20 years ago, I, I mean, I would just as, as hard as I could emphasize it, just that you would, you would try and get the language that you would, you know, language is such a, it's such a power thing, you know, it's like, if, if I'm, ministering to people. I mean, for me to, to have to talk to someone in English, when that's not their language, I'm in the power position, you know, and language is how we serve. I think it's, it's the first door to service in a foreign country is that I stumble through. I'm, I'm the one embarrassing myself, stumbling over words, making mistakes, allowing them to express themselves better than I can express myself. I mean, if I if I, I, you know, I was an English major, so I can, I can use so many different words and so much nuance to ex- express myself in English. But when I try and express myself in Chinese, my language becomes so much more limited and, and all those kind of things. But I just, I just have the conviction that, that incarnation means I, I put myself in the, in the service position where I'm, 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 I'm letting them express themselves in their language and I'm doing my best to express myself in their language. And, and they're in the power position instead of me, you know? And so I would, I would just hit that as hard as I could. I think the third thing I would tell someone is just stay close to Jesus. Uh, just, you know, that you intimacy with Jesus, staying close to Jesus, there is no substitute for that. And, and to just that that will be the thing that will sustain you because success is going to come and go. There's going to be there's going to be times of success, but there's going to probably be a whole lot of times of frustration and barrenness and, and just to be able to just stay close to Jesus, where my, my time with him is not simply to find another teaching or to prepare another sermon. I mean, where I'm just spending time with him because I love him. Um, I, I would say probably those are three things. And I, and then maybe, again, I, I probably could keep going, but I'll, I'll stop with this one. I think just to really try and learn from people who have been here before. I, I really tried particularly early on, and I, I think it's maybe still some today, but I, you know, particularly early on, I tried to just spend time with people who had been here longer than I had. I just tried to glean as much as I could and learn from them. And I think that that's, um, I think that's really important. Well, guys, that's it for this week. I really hope you enjoyed getting to know Scott and learning about his experiences on the mission field and as a director of YWAM. Big thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible. Dale, our editor, Nelson, our producer, and you, the listener. We couldn't do it without you. If you get a moment, please subscribe, rate, and review. It's the only way more people will find out about our podcast and missionaries in East Asia. If you'd like to reach out, you can reach out at tmfccg@ at gmail.com. Once again, we hope you enjoyed the show.
Bye.